April 15, 1972 was more than just another income tax day in Macon, Georgia. Hi, I'm Ben Sandifer, and on this Middle Georgia podcast, we remember Elvis Presley's first performance in Macon 50 years ago. Elvis did not normally play markets as small as Macon then, but a special connection between the Colonel, Elvis's manager, and Bill Lavery, manager of the Macon Coliseum at the time, made this show possible. Bill Lavery's son, Jim, picks up the story from there. My dad and Colonel go back in the 50s up in Cleveland, Ohio, and they would just maintain friendship for all those years. And I can remember answering the phone, just dad's colonel's on the phone for you they would just chit chat and talk and when my dad would reach out to somebody to play an event you know he one of them was elvis and you know there was no promotion needed everything was sold out ahead of time everything was just the logistics of that day and then after that was gone and move on to the next thing you know you only had ten thousand seats at 15 it was only hundred fifty thousand dollars. i mean that wasn't even one show in, in vegas for elvis to play you know i mean he was making a lot more than that a show and a lot less people but my dad, you know, said, Colonel, you know, need to get out there with people. So that was 10,242 seats. It was 15, 1250, and 1050 or $10 a ticket. It would sell the show out three or four months ahead of time, take that money, put it in the bank, draw interest off of that money, and then the show would come. And then they would pay all the bills. But, you know, I was just inside thinking about how they did the money because, you know, he was so popular. Elvis was always good to everybody. I mean, he was one of the first people to feed everybody. Yeah, I can remember that growing up. You know, it's like, damn, when we when we gonna go get something to eat? You know, at Church's Chicken or whatever was open at the time. He would have catered food for everybody, all the state chains and help anybody who was back there. That was good about his organization. The Macon headquarters for the Elvis entourage then was the Macon Hilton. After that first show, I can't tell you where he, where he started from. Because the traffic in the pit and the crowds, that was the biggest thing. But he came in and um, stayed at the Hilton that day. Now, I don't know if he spent the night that night or not, but that's where he was in between shows from that 2.30 matinee to the night show. And on, on the night show, basically, you'd have him at the Hilton, and he would be there until the last person went through the turnstile. And then you would move him over from the Hilton. You knew where he was. We would know where he was. He would just show up and then, you know, go on stage. I can remember that music right now when he would he would step up on the stage about three or four steps up before people could see him. And, man, when he took that last step and his head could be seen, all hell broke loose in that place. And Jim Lavery was more than just the son of the Coliseum manager. He played a role in Elvis's getaway. Elvis came and went quick. It wasn't hanging around a lot of, you know, it was just the fan base was too, too crazy. One of the interesting things was... I had a Grand Prix, and the 2.30 show was 2.30, I believe, in an 8 or 7.30, 8 o'clock show. And there were so many people, you know, inside and outside. And then there was people that would just come hang out, didn't have tickets or couldn't get tickets. Guy name was Lieutenant Utley, was one of the head security people for the local. They worked with the Memphis Mafia guys to, for protection. Well, there was no way to get the car out of the back of the Coliseum. So they ended up taking my car and put it in where the ice skating rink is, the public area uh, entrance on the side of the building. And they put Elvis and Utley in that car and a driver, and they went that way. And I jumped in the limousine with my head down, 
jumped in the limousine to the back door, pulled out, and of course they just the fans just went all over the car, and you could barely move. Meantime, Elvis is going through the parking lot, <laughs> back over to the to the Hilton, <clears throat> and then I just got out of the car and just walked back to the back door of the Coliseum. But it was it was if you saw that happening, you go. They always had a backup plan for everything because he was, I mean, he was just amazing, the people around him. Ron Wildman covered Elvis's first visit to Macon for WMAZ television. And Elvis's troop was coming in that morning. It was out at uh, Macon Municipal Airport. Uh, the troop came in separately. They flew in and then uh, Elvis would come in later, shortly before the program, apparently. So I was shooting video of the, the troop getting off the plane and doing this and that. And somebody yelled at me, and I turned around, and there's a guy, and Elvis is a comedian for the show. He uh, needed some local color. And he said he couldn't, uh, if I could meet with him later on for the show. So uh, we agreed to meet down at the Hilton down there. Ronnie Thompson was mayor at the time. And so Ronnie was, you know, was a colorful character. And so I told him all about Ronnie and his patriotism and uh, his slick down hair and just different things. And the guy right away picked up on all that stuff. And uh, he used it in the program. I guess he wore, it was the warm-up act for Elvis. One, one, I remember one that stuck out in my mind was uh, Ronnie was buying some American flags one day and he said, uh, do you have it in any other colors? Well, the crowd just loved that joke because they knew it was a joke about Ronnie. And then when I got done talking to him, and he gave me a tip that Elvis, when he comes, he comes on the left side of the venue of the Coliseum. There was an entryway back there, and, uh, and he said they, they send two cars. They send the first car through there, and uh, it slows down like it's going to stop and let somebody out, and it doesn't. It just goes on. And then he said the second car Elvis is in. And he said, uh, I can't do anything about you getting with him or anything. But he said, uh, at least you can, you want to get some shots of him, you probably can. So when the car came up, uh, like you said, it, the first one went by. And the uh, second one came a few minutes later. Elvis gets out and he had to uh, walk in a, a little ways. It was like an outdoor tunnel-like thing, but it wasn't covered at the top. So I'm at the top of it looking down. And so here comes Elvis. And I don't know if the comedian told him I'd be there, but he, as he got to the door, he turned around and looked up at me, gave me a salute, and went on in. That's as close as I got to him. But that was good enough for me. And Ron got a second story out of the event when Elvis departed middle Georgia. I went out to the airport. His plane was out there, and I figured, well, it's public property. So I staked out at the foot of the airport, uh, the airplane, his airplane. And Elvis was going to leave. I was going to get a shot of Elvis, you know, going up in a plane and everything and uh, maybe get him to yell at me or something like that. Well, I got out there and they brought him out in a limousine, but they also had another bus out there. I guess if we were going to travel with him or something. So I'm standing there and uh, they told me to leave. And I said, it's public property. I'm not going to leave. So they called uh, Jim Brooks was the uh, used to be the police chief of Macon, but prior to that, he was the security chief out at the airport. So they called Brooks, and Brooks came running out there, and Brooks didn't know what to do because I was a friend of his and his father, so he knew me real well. He didn't want to give me a hard time, but he said, uh, 
I said, well, chief, I said, this is, uh, you know, public property. I have a right to be here as well as they do. So he called Rex Elder, the airport manager, and he said, uh, we got to live with this guy year round. And Elvis, one night, just let Ron do what he wants to. So he told the Elvis people that I had the right to be there. And then I was allowed to be there. So what they kept doing distance to me between me and the plane was enough where they could put that big bus between me and the plane. They pulled that bus up. Well, I walked around to the other side and had a clear shot of the plane again. So they backed the bus up in front of me again. And then I walked around back to where I was and they <laughs> pulled the bus up again. We did this about five or six times. And then, of course, I'm filming all of this stuff. And when the Elvis came, Everything just kind of fell apart because the guys in the bus had to get on the plane with Elvis. And so uh, they hustled him out of the car. I'm shooting towards the ramp going up to the plane. And as Elvis approached the steps, they had this. This is dusk. This is almost dark. And they shine those lights right in my camera. And that's the last thing you see is just this silhouette and this, these bright lights in my camera. Well, it made for a great story for the TV newscast, a good feature of them doing this bus stuff and trying to block me from seeing Elvis. You know, it got to be a game. And to me, that's a better story than talking to Elvis. It turned out to be a great visual story. I've often said that Elaine Green is the biggest Elvis fan in middle Georgia. And of course, she was there for Elvis's visit to Macon 50 years ago. I just remember how excited we were, the fact that Elvis was coming to Macon and that we were going to get a chance to see him because the only thing we'd ever saw him was on TV. But when we found out he was coming to Macon, I told one of them, we've got to go. So we went and got tickets and they were $10. You know, we were on the 15th row. Everybody was standing up. Everybody was screaming. And I went with Ellen and Bob Morgan. These were friends of ours from growing up days. And we said, okay, we were in the car, and I said, okay, we're not going to scream. We're not going to yell. We're just going to get in there and just go along with the music and sway with music. As soon as the Space Odyssey's theme started, we started screaming just like everybody else. Ellen was six months pregnant. She stood up on the chair. Her husband kept saying, get down, get down. There was a girl standing beside Bob who was so excited that she kept beating on his arm. The next day, he couldn't even move his arm because it was so sore where she'd beat, beat on him the whole time. But we just thought, you know, that we were here watching this performer that we've, we've loved all these years. And then that same year, we went up to Atlanta to see him again. We saw him in Atlanta. We performed there in 72 as well. I don't think there's ever been a performer like him ever. And still today, 50 years later, I mean, people go and flock to Graceland and go and, you know, they still buy his albums. There's so many young people now that love him. And so his legacy continues on today, which is so great. Even before that first Elvis show in Macon, Elaine was a collector. Today, she has an entire room in her home devoted to Elvis memorabilia. Music has always been such a part of my life. I saw him at nine, you know, on the Ed Sullivan show. We started collecting. I had I had a lot of the old Elvis hats and scarves and things like that. But somehow when we moved from, from Virginia Beach to Georgia, somebody's got that box because I, it didn't come to Georgia with me. I had um, bubblegum cards and all that. So records, I, you know, I had all the 45s. But it, I didn't get the collection to have the Elvis room and all the things in it until I started teaching school. And that's when the students would bring 
you know, bring anytime they saw anything from Elvis, they'd buy it or they'd give it to me if they saw anything that their grandparents were getting rid of. But I still, I still collect things. The last thing that I've gotten was a slot machine. I think I've got a slot machine from one of the casinos. I even looked, looked up and to find out how much a ticket stub was and they, because the Macon ticket was very rare. The stub from Macon was very rare today from the collectors, as they said. The only thing I've got that, that he ever, well, he didn't, but I got the, the desk from his high school that he attended, Hume's High School. On a personal note, my older brother Perry had introduced the music of Elvis Presley to me as a child. So it was only appropriate that we'd see Elvis's first performance in our hometown together. And it's still the best concert I've ever seen. Elvis would perform in Macon three more times, twice in 1975 and during his last year of touring in 1977. But if you were at that first performance 50 years ago, perhaps you share at least one of these sentiments. It's just one guy standing on stage having more electricity than any other, any five groups I've ever seen besides him, what he, what he could do to a place. People went crazy. He could make things happen. It was a very exciting times, that's for sure. Just seeing somebody that you love the music all your life and just to see that person in person, see that person sing in person, it was just, it's just indescribable. I mean, it really was, but I can still see it. I can still hear that music, the, the introduction, the echoing through the Coliseum, and that was it. It was great. For Middle Georgia Podcast, I'm Ben Sandifer. Actions!